0: We, um, as lots of you know, that I uh, do some assemblies. I'm a a local junior school governor, and I was doing an assembly um, this week on the 11th, on Thursday 11th, and uh, I was talking about my uh, granddad. Some of you will know the stories of my two granddads. Both of them had traumatic experiences in the First World War, which uh, caused a lot of scars through the generations in my family. And I was telling the story of one of my granddads, and um, I'm not going to tell you that now. I've done it on our previous Remembrance Sundays, and we'll give it a few years, and I'll tell you the story again. But after I'd finished, uh, I went back to the side, and the teacher took over leading the assembly, and um, a, a child put their hand up. And the uh, teacher asked the, uh, asked the child what they wanted, and the little child, little, little boy, uh, asked this question. And uh, it was one of those moments where I firstly felt slightly pleased that I wasn't having to answer that question. Although I will be answering questions if you want to text in to Deb, and she's going to interview me a little bit later, and we'll see where we can go. If there are things to do with the sermon that you think, could I just explain that a little bit more, or, or, or could I go? Some of we didn't talk about on the theme. Anyway, this little child without, wasn't like, oh, there's anybody with any questions. It was just, I've got a question, miss. And um, the little boy said, um, why do we have wars? And the, uh, the teacher, bless her, was thrown like I would have been. How, how, what? Why do we have wars? And she flannelled, as we all do, and you'll see me later do this. She said, that's a great question. Whenever I say that's a great question, what it means is, give me a few minutes because I don't know how to answer it. She said, that's a great question. That's a really good question. That's a really, really good question. Uh, and then her answer, which is fine, was, was decent under the pressure of the moment. She said, uh, sometimes nations have bad leaders. And uh, that's, that's, that's okay, that's, that's part of the story. But I think um, when I was young and optimistic uh, in my teens, 20s and 30s, I would have been completely satisfied with that answer. And I would have felt a nation like ours is never going to be taken into war in the way that other nations have been misled by leaders. We will never rise up and go to war for no good reason, it seemed to me. And then I, um, the last few years have kind of rocked that in my mind. Half of my family live in Scotland and have English accents, half of my family live in England with Scottish accents. The debate around Scottish independence was frightening. The debate around Brexit was frightening. The way we've seen America divided is frightening. And what you realise is that bad leaders rely on the support of a lot of people actually a lot of people whose fears are tapped into, a lot of people whose prejudices are stoked, a lot of people whose righteous anger is directed against them, against the others, against the English or against the Scottish, or against the European or whatever it is. And it seems to me that it isn't that wars happen because there are bad leaders. Wars happen because a section of a nation, often not the majority, I agree, but a, a large group of the people think that bad leaders right. And they are the enemy. And they are a threat to us. And I wanted to explore this a little bit. It we're just coming off Ezra for a, a week, if, if that's OK. Well, too bad if it isn't OK, really, because that's what we're going to do. Uh, my uh, granddad here, Arthur, was called Derry. Uh, he was called Derry because he was from Londonderry. And my, his great-grandparents had gone over to Northern Ireland from Scotland, and he moved after the war back to Scotland... Uh, and grew up in Scotland, but he had a Northern Irish accent, and so he was called Derry. I discover uh, my, my family really gone into the family tree, my sisters and my mum really explored, go back generations and generations, and one of my, some of my great-great-grandfathers, some of Arthur's grandfathers, were orangemen, uh, were quite notable orangemen, and we know of Northern Ireland, fighting wars, between each other, that go back hundreds of years. Dilbert says, I can't tell the difference between the good ideas and bad ones. There are smart people on both sides of every idea. And he says to Wally, what rational process do you use to determine who's right? And Wally says, I label people who disagree with me idiots and call it a day. And I... We've all, Northern Ireland has shown us that we have always had these prejudices, but social media has whopped it up, hasn't it? And the, the level of them and us in so many different ways affects us all. Uh, our CEO has banned political talk on all employee messaging platforms. It's just as well because you're brainwashed and uninformed and your opinions are not worth the spittle that comes with them, he says. We hope this will change and improve internal harmony. Conflict and division is all around us. And nations go to war because individuals want war and individuals want war because there is fear in individuals. Jesus said, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. And it becomes abundantly clear in the the scripture as we see the influence of Jesus that God loves peacemakers. He says that they are worthy of being in his family. They are called his children because they carry on his characteristics and his values. They live the way he wants and he's proud to say, that's my boy, that's my daughter. They're doing what I want. They're carrying on the family business. What is the family business? It is to make peace. Jesus came and he broke down all kinds of barriers. There's a John's gospel talk that I do that you can see on our YouTube channel. John, if you go to John 4, breaking down barriers. Jesus comes... To bring peace, that's what he does. Peace between God and man, but peace between men and women. Peace between uh, the uh, uh, Samaritan and the non-Samaritan, between the tax collector and the people, between the sinner and the saint. He comes to bring peace. What do the angels say? Peace on earth. Not simply peace in the heart. Peace on earth, goodwill to all Men, mankind. And in James chapter 3, which is what I'm going to look at, Uh, a little bit more closely. The the idea is repeated. Peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. And this comes from a context and the context starts in verse 13. He says, look, what is wisdom? What What do you think is wise? And it becomes clear that he thinks not loving peace is stupidity because he says this, let them show it by their good life, by the deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth such and he puts it in quotes such wisdom does not come from heaven but is earthly unspiritual demonic but if the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure then peace loving considerate submissive full of mercy good fruit impartial and sincere peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness God loves peacemakers So I want to ask two questions for a moment, then we're going to share in communion, we're going to have some question and answer, then Joel's going to come and lead us again in responding. The two questions, what is peacemaking and how do we make peace? What then is peacemaking? I want to suggest that it is creating safety for everyone, everyone. Peace is where everyone is safe, to live their life without intimidation, without bullying, without threats. Not one group, not a dominant group, not the the ruling group, but everyone. Peace is safety for everyone. It is freedom from fear for everyone. And that is shalom. That is what God wants to bring on earth, as it is in heaven. Sometimes there are folks that say, "Well, we can never work for these things because it'll only ever happen in heaven." And that's true. That we will always there will always be a conflict. There will always be a battle. But that. It's abundantly clear that Jesus says, you don't give up, you work for it. Because if you work for peace, I love you. You're my child. And so we want to bring freedom from fear for everyone. And we want to create a lasting trust between peoples. So peacemaking is not peacekeeping. It is not keeping the status quo where one group are happy and safe and another group is silent and afraid. That's injustice, that's oppression. Peacekeeping is creating a community or a family or a workplace and this is where it boils down to because when the family is working in peace, when the workplace is working in peace, when the neighbourhood, the golf club, the, the church is working in peace, we influence and create an atmosphere of peace which influences the way we're led. Whereas if we have a community and a feeling of anger and bitterness and resentment and and discord that's in the family, that spills into the workplace, that spills into the community, that spills into our politics, it becomes our national policy. Peacemaking is not peacekeeping, it is not conflict avoidance, it is seeking to bring a freedom from fear and safety for everyone. That's what real peace is. And it, it, it has to be made. It doesn't just happen, it has to be made. He says, peacemakers. The story of Jesus is a story of peacemaking, not the cheap piece of withdrawal from conflict, but the costly piece of engagement and suffering and love. Jesus has modelled down the breaking of barriers and the reconciling of people. Man with God, man with man, man with woman. So how do we make peace? I want to suggest two main points. The first is slightly longer than the second. The first way we make peace is we simply live peacefully. We model it. We do it. And the way we do that is fundamentally we have to love peace. James says the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace loving. And sadly, I think there are so many in our community who like conflict. They like arguments, they like intimidating, they like manipulating, they like getting their own way at the expense of others. They like to win, they like to get their own back. They like others to be afraid. And we have to root that out within us. When we enjoy a spat on Twitter, we have to root it out. We want to love peace. And that will mean letting go of personal anger, of letting go of our desire for revenge or our desire for hurt. And when we model that in the, in, in the closest of relationships and then the daily relationships and then the weekly relationships, we can transform those around us. To love peace is to prize peace over revenge or victory. It is not about being the winner It is not about vanquishing the enemy. It's not about defeating them. Northern Ireland has had 300 years of defeating the enemy and the war goes on in people's minds. Because you don't defeat people, you just create more enemies. We have to bring about reconciliation. We have to bring about a desire for everyone to be safe and everyone to be free from fear. It's not about conquest. It's about bringing peace to everybody. And that means being considerate, he says, James 3.17. We love peace, and we consider other people's perspective. We try and understand them. We place ourselves in their shoes. We try and understand why they feel differently to us, why they think differently to us. We don't judge them. We don't project onto them an easy argument that we can demolish, demolish. But we try to really understand, why does somebody see this differently to me? What is it like to be there? What is their fear? What is their experience? What has gone wrong in their life? What are they understanding by the words that are being used? Why do they see it differently? We consider others. And then he says that it is submissive. That we choose to give way, we choose to say, "Look, like, I don't have to win on this. I don't have to be right on this." And I want to put a little caveat, and, and uh, we can—we've uh, talked about this in, in some of our questions of life. You can go and look at that. But my little caveat is this: that if we're not defending others, that I don't give way if I'm protecting somebody. I have to protect somebody, and are, we—we've are talked about the armed forces and the emergency services who protect us. And their job is not to be submissive. It's no good having a submissive policeman because they're there to protect us. But as an individual, I'm not here to defend my rights all the time and to have to win. And there is a time to be submissive. There is a time to say, you know what? I would rather it was this way, but I can give way on that. This is not a hill for me to die, and I can release my hold on this. I can say not my will but yours. We know that relationships thrive, not when one person submits to the other, but when both submit to each other, as Ephesians tells us. We submit to one another, and we choose the will and what is best for the other person. And then he says it is full of mercy. And so to be a peaceful person is to be a merciful person, is to see the faults of others, but not to blame them to see where people are hurt and damaged and not to want to, to punish, but to release them and to let it go. And that will mean that if we are peaceful people, we will be people who apologize. We will be quick to say, that was my form, sorry on, on that, I, I hold my hands up. If we're to be merciful, we have to hold very clearly our understanding and a self-awareness of where we get it wrong. We can't be afraid to say sorry. We can't be afraid to apologize. We cannot see it as a weakness if we have to be people of peace. And then he says that they are uh, impartial. And that means that in our lives we are to not discriminate against people who are a different age to us, a different religion to us, a different color to us, a different race to us, just different to us. That if we are to change the community around us, we have to model impartiality. We have to model not discriminating. And he says, lastly, we need to be sincere, to live in truth, that there is an integrity about us, that people know that what we uh, say is what we are, that we don't talk of peace but go around slagging people off and being gossiping and and, and having a moan and having a dig and passing on criticism. But actually that if we are peaceful people, we are known to be people who are gentle in the way we speak of others. We are gentle in the way we um, pass on anything, if at all. And we don't delight in seeing others fail or fall. But we want the truth only. And so we don't gossip. We don't pass on that little bit of tittle-tattle. Have you heard this? Have you seen that? What about that? We don't forward stuff about people because we want to be people of peace. Jesse Jackson, part of the great civil rights movement in America, said leadership has a harder job than to do than to choose sides. It must bring sides together. And I believe that God is calling all of us to be leaders in where he places us this week. Leaders in our family, leaders in our friendship groups, leaders in the workplace, leaders in the community. And that means it's not about choosing which argument we agree with. It's not about choosing what side of the Brexit debate we're on or the Scottish independence debate on or whether Trump is a good or a bad guy debate. It's not about choosing which side. It's about bringing people together. It's about making peace where people who hold some, a view very, very different to us are not the enemy but are someone that we want to understand and build trust with. So the second aspect of how we make peace is to be a mediator where we're bringing together groups who, who disagree. And we're not going to just jump on one side or the other but we want to create a unity. We want to create a wholeness So what does that mean? It means that we listen, that we listen, we try and understand what's going on. We try and hear what really is in a person's heart and we identify their fears because so much of conflict and prejudice is rooted in fear frightened of something and very often we're not able to articulate or recognize or understand what it is that we're frightened of but we deal with this strong guttural reaction to something and we will need help by a good mediator to just dig away safely in a place of peace uncover what it is we're afraid of. One of the things that I I find uh, difficult at times is that I've come to realize that the, the sometimes to do with my position or my age or whatever it is, but I sometimes intimidate people. And I know that I can see it because I'm intimidated by some people. And, and I feel really sad when I know that someone is... They're not safe with me. They're not able to be themselves. They're watching what they're saying. They're, they're trying to be... Uh, say what they think I want to hear or what they want the best side of themselves or, or not able to say anything. And it grieves me. It's understandable. But I don't think any of us really want to be people who other people are frightened of. And yet many of us will frighten other people. We may not think we're frightening, we may not mean to do it, it may be our role or our position, but it might also be the language we use or the tone of voice or the level of voice. And to bring about peace, we need to understand where people are afraid of each other, or afraid of a value, or a concept, or an outcome. And when we've identified fears, we identify common goals, because the art of peacemaking is to bring people together where everybody feels that this will work, and this is trustworthy. Trustworthy. And we're wanting to use a language that I think is really helpful is to use the language of win-wins where both groups feel this is what I wanted. Because if we have a win-lose where one group feels they've got exactly what they've wanted and they've managed to push down the other group, the other group will just find ways and resentments to build to get their own back and we see that in history. And I know there are people who will tell me that compromise is a dirty word. Okay, well, don't use the word compromise. Use the word win-win. But the only way to make peace is to be reconciled with our enemy, not to conquer them. And so if we're a mediator between different people, maybe we're a parent and we have to mediate between our kids. Maybe we're uh, in the family and we have to mediate between members of the family. Maybe we have to mediate between friends. Maybe we have to mediate in the office. And we can see both sides, and that's a great place to be, so let's try and listen and build trust and help people come together. Jesus came to bring peace. He didn't come to bring peace in the heart that would have no relevance real life. He came to bring shalom, total well-being. He came and taught people a way of peace. He called it love. He said, love your enemy. He said, love your neighbor and love those who persecute you. He wanted to teach a different way of living and he modeled it on the cross. He modeled it in Gethsemane as he cried out, not my will but yours. He modeled it as he went all the way through the cross for us. So questions for reflection. Do we love peace? Or do we love winning or being the better of others or having it all our own way? Do we want victory or peace? And do we want an easy life, or lasting peace for all? Do we turn our ear, deaf ear to the oppressed, to the broken, to the people who suffer injustice, and we try and keep the peace rather than make peace? We don't want to bring people together. We just want to side with the winners. Do we want a lasting peace for all? So who needs our mediation Deb's going to come and ask some questions.
1: First question, simple one. This is just, um, to be fair, I agree with this person. What was an orange man?
0: (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Um, I don't want to get this wrong. Uh, It was a group of strongly Protestant... It's a movement of strongly Protestant Northern Irish folk of very and to the uh, Catholic faith and the union of total Ireland, and to varying degrees throughout history, have been either considered a force for cohesion or a force for division, depending on how you see it. Okay. That may be unfair of my great-great-grandfather, um, but... Google it and go and learn more about it. But it's okay. it's a very complex story. It's to do with being in support of William of Orange, who was the king, what, three or four hundred years ago? Yeah, yeah. and it's, it's to do with being a supporters of William of Orange.
1: OK, fair enough. I'll wait for the right. flack <laughs> I
0: will get, but...
1: <laughs> no, it's clarified we, we, for whoever... Yeah. Oh, I didn't know. So. Okay. Here we go. Um, so, going to the Bible now. How do you understand and reconcile Jesus' words in Luke twelve fifty one? So there's actually two verses, came in separately. And in Luke twelve fifty one, he says, Do you think that I have come to give peace on earth? No, I tell you, but rather division. How do you reconcile that with God's mandate for us to live as peacemakers? And then on a similar thing, shall I give you the other verse? Matthew ten thirty four. Do not suppose that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword.
0: I think you have to harmonise. You have to understand them both together. And I think, I think Jesus is saying, do not think that if you follow me, nobody will ever persecute you. Nobody will ever perhaps potentially lift a sword against you. And do not think that I have come to allow injustice and oppression to continue. So there are... There are God does not want injustice or oppression. That's, that's, if you like, the overall arching thing. And to follow Christ, we may need to stand and defend others and stand against injustice and oppression. Uh, And that may mean that we are the recipients of the sword. Okay. But it doesn't mean that we have the right all God's heart to just be violent. I think, I, think, I, I think that so much of faith is balance and it's very easy to be extreme. It's very easy to take one, I've said this so many times in recent weeks, it's, so many, it's very easy to take one verse and ignore the other. You have to understand, yes, he says, if, if you're going to follow me, it's, it, there will be violence. But I really, really want the people who make peace. And we have to hold those two together. You can't take one over the other. You have to hold them together. So let's not live under an illusion that following Christ will mean nobody ever raises a sword against God's people.
1: So that's saying that um, there'll be violence against us. So another question that came in, because you're saying, so we keep the peace, but there might be violence against us. What do we do when the temple does need turning upside down?
0: Well, I think there are are two things that I want to say. Firstly, I used to be a pacifist. I'm not a pacifist. There is a place to defend the defenseless. There's a place to defend six million Jews who are being destroyed. There is a place to defend the defenseless, and that is where we, it's the last resort, but there's a place. Um, that has nothing to do with the overthrowing of the temple, actually. The cleansing of the temple probably wasn't particularly violent, it certainly didn't hurt anybody, and it was to do with the religious people stopping ordinary people meet with God. It's not a justification for war, cleansing the temple has nothing to do with war. It's to do with making sure that religious people don't put barriers in the way, and it's the barriers that were removed. It's about anger, but it's anger with people like us. Hmm. And so we've got to be really careful about the cleansing of the temple, because it's about religious people who think they know God, and those sinners out there need to pay and be on the outside and have all kinds of other ways. Anyway, so that's a digression. I personally, I understand pacifism, and, and I, 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 I empathise with it, but I personally am not a pacifist. But I'm also a great believer in non-violence. I actually think that non-violence is far more effective than violence. But there comes a point when you have to stop genocide. Mm. You have to stop genocide. Otherwise, you're complicit with it, in, in my view. But again, it's the balance. And uh, Christians have developed over centuries this concept of a just war, and there are all kinds of theological conditions for a just war. And make, it, it's a, there's a lot of good in that. But if you apply those conditions to the wars of the last century, not many of them were just. Mm-hmm. If a war is rooted in defending the defenseless, you can make a case for it. If a war is rooted in jealousy and fear and resentment of previous hurts,
1: so can it go from, can it start at one and grow into the other?
0: Yeah, and, and there are all kinds of atrocities that are done in a just war that shouldn't be done. It's, it's, it's muddy, it's messy, it's murky, it's, it's, it's difficult. Um, but I guess what I wanted to say tonight was the seedbed that allows governments to go to war is a seedbed of constant conflict, criticism, and bitterness within a community. And we mustn't allow that to take over our nation, because I fear we're close to it. Mm. And I fear America is close to it. And that's not just war. Mm. That's what James talks about, selfish envy and ambition. And that is dangerous, very Mm. dangerous.
1: Going back to the um, peaceful, you know, what were you saying earlier, non violent action? Someone said, What do you think about movements that promote disruption rather than peacemaking, demonstrations rather than peace for a, a greater good, e.g., climate activists? I guess they've been looking at the Glasgow.
0: I'm, I'm not a great ac- expert on, on that. I, I think you have to bring people with you. And there's a balancing act between protest and irritation. And I don't know, the ba- I don't know enough to judge individual examples, but we, you, we have to change hearts and minds. And if you take an action that threatens or damages another person, put, yeah, blocking an ambulance, for example, I, I find that difficult to justify, so I think we have to find ways. So Martin Luther King he has a lot of faults, but a lot of things I admire about him, but his, he never harmed people. So nonviolence is you don't harm people, and you, 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 you do what gains awareness and sympathy, not anger and awareness. Mm.
1: It's interesting, I was following a few of the people demonstrating up in Glasgow this week, and some of them, the language they used was angry, divisive, criticizing even other demonstrators and how they were doing it and everything. And there was this one girl um, from Uganda, Vanessa something, and it just struck me how different her language was. turns out she is a Christian. And uh, in one of her speeches, she said, In all of this movement, it's really important. We need to hold governments accountable, but we need to remember these three things are the most important Um, faith, hope, and love. But most important of these is love. And it just, I thought, I'd been watching her and thinking, She's different. She's not angry. She's just saying it's important. And Mm. just the way she taught was different, just showed how the way you do it can be.
0: Absolutely. I mean, I've started quoting all the time at the moment, 1 Corinthians 13. If we, we can be right, but if we're not loving, it's, it's wrong.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, practical question. So one of, I think it's on one of your questions for reflection that you left up. How can we grow to love peace if we don't?
0: I think if you recognise that we don't love peace and we confess that to God and we say, Lord, change my heart. There's a root of bitterness or anger or of pride or superiority or aggression. Maybe I've inherited it. Maybe I've allowed it to grow. But, Lord, I want it rooted out. So I would come on my knees and just say, God, change me. I want to be a lover. And so many things. Is, you, you say to God, I want to do this before you can. And say, so, Lord, help me. I'm, I don't. And, and I guess all of us would, would feel we don't love peace as much as, we, as God wants us to love peace. We like a bit of aggression and anger.
1: Our family heard your questions of life a couple of weeks ago. My parents were here as well. And uh, we went home and we decided we had a lot of work to do. We said we've got a strong bond. We've definitely got a strong bond, but we're not sure it's the bond of peace. (laughs) So uh, you've been speaking to us. Um, But in families, is this is a question that's come in, in families, is our role as Christians to be peacemakers even when the other party is wrong? How do we live the life of a peacemaker, seeking peace and harmony rather rather than self-justification or being right at any price? And then they said, "Is it peace at any price?" Romans 12:18. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone.
0: Yeah, we, we, it's the difference between being a peacekeeper and a peacemaker. A peacekeeper is just avoiding conflict, and that you, you know that's a 1930s language, that's appeasement, and that does nobody any good. So there is times when we do have to confront and say, look, that, that's unacceptable, I can't deal with that, but to explain why and to listen and find out, well, why did a person do that? Why does a person think that? Why does a person react in that way? And to, if at all possible, to try and, and bring understanding and, and harmony, given that there are other times... When Jesus says shake the dust off your feet and walk away, and we talked about that recently somewhere, and there may be a point where, as you say, if at all possible, you can, I just this person is just so rooted in anger that I'm, it's damaging to me and I need to walk away. That, that can happen, and we do shake the dust off our feet and move on.
1: On a similar note, top tips for promoting reconciliation. We've probably only got time for one more, but there's quite a few more. But.
0: Uh, well, I think those my top tips would come from what we, we just talked about, listening, identifying fear, talking to both sides. If you can... Exp- this, I think I said this the other week. If you can explain to the other person exactly what they feel in such a way that they say, you're right, instead of them saying, no, what I really think is this. If you can really get to the root of how another person sees it and explain it in a way they're happy with you're likely to be able to build peace with them because you, you've got it, and that's, those are my top tips.
1: That's really helpful. That, that was the thing that I remembered after your questions of life, it's a really good tip. Um, last question. What groups should we here in Sutton be working with to bring peace? You said there are people, groups within our society that are not at peace. What, are the, what would you say are the top issues or groups?
0: Do you want me to Uh, reread? I don't know. That's a very good question. (laughs) (laughs) Explain it to me. I think
1: it came from this morning, you said, we are a nation at peace, but there are groups and people within us who aren't. um, So I think what it came... What groups should we here in Sutton be working with to bring peace?
0: I think we need to make sure that uh, people of different colour and race... Are able to live at peace in our community. I think we need to make sure that people of a different gender are able to live at peace in our community. I think we need to make sure that people of a different age and generation to us are able to live at peace in our community. I think we need to make sure that people of a different faith are able to live at peace in our community. And I think we need to make sure that people who see sexuality in a different way to us are at peace in our society and are safe and free from fear. Nobody should have to live in fear or be unsafe. However, we might disagree, it's just not what God ever wants for anybody. Uh, so uh, that's where I think, as, you know, we're not at war with France or, or, or anyone, but there's so many little wars. And again, I did say this morning, I didn't say it tonight. There are so many little wars where there are groups of people who are not safe groups of people in this church that are not safe in part of their life and we need to help them to be safe. We need to help them. We need to make peace for them.
1: Brilliant. So quite a lot to be working on then.